You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today, we are discussing leading people through culture change in business. And according to Forbes magazine, collaborative leadership, tempering our egos with empathy and compassion, driving the mission and meaningfulness of the company, and shared accountability and inclusion are all key strategies. On today's episode, we're talking about leading people through culture change. And joining us is Dr. Ricard Briggs. Dr. Briggs is a committed and well-accomplished global entrepreneur and academic with over 30 years of experience in business and academia. He has founded, launched, and developed seven international businesses related to asset management, healthcare, business process management, insurance, and consulting, as well as developed international partnerships with companies in North America, Asia, Australia, Africa, and the Middle East. Impressive. We welcome you to the podcast, Dr. Briggs. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on, you know, your passion and your mission before we get to today's show topic? Well, well, I, I greatly appreciate the introduction, and I think I'll, I'll segue off of that in the sense that I think that gives you a good foundation as to my background as a scholar practitioner. And what that basically means is that I do work, and then I, apply, I later applied the academic aspect of it in order to substantiate the results, which is tremendous. Now, the other thing, too, is uh, I have been an entrepreneur pretty much all of my life, and I've worked globally. And that that's extremely uh, relevant when we talk about culture. Uh, change and how organizations uh, utilize culture in order to facilitate increased revenue at the same time, uh, increased client base. Now, one of the things that I uh, truly enjoy doing is passing on the information that I've acquired at this point uh, to other individuals. My main job now for at National University is the director of the uh, Business Innovation Management and Economic Center. What we do there is uh, the, the, the vision of that uh, business center was that we allowed students, faculty, and the community to com uh, collaborate and to build their businesses in a virtual space. Now, that's the end uh, vision as a virtual incubator, but the way it's actually panned out is that we have a good number of students as well as faculty contacting us on a regular basis, asking specific questions as to their business. And we all know that there's a significant number of businesses and different verticals that are available, so those questions are in industry specific, which requires additional research. But what we were able to do is take those questions, find the answers of the solutions, connect them with the right people. But more importantly, what that does is it helps us build our uh, resource base. We take that information and we put it into a separate section in the business center so that the next time that question is asked, we have a link that we can just send to someone. So that's what we're doing right now. And that's what I, I truly take a lot of care and passion about doing, which is giving people information on how to make their business better or to start a business. Wow, that is so great. And I love how you have applied both from your cultural, your travels and, and everything that you're doing in the academic world now uh, and really talking about cultural change. And we're really in a shift right now. Indeed. Uh, and so this is perfect. Can you start... Um, 
Could you really talk about and identify, articulate the core values that are currently driving your organization's culture and how these may need to evolve to facilitate a cultural change? Well, that's a great question. And in essence, what that question is actually asking is what's the status quo of your cultural environment? And each, we all have a baseline. Uh, Each organization has a culture, has an environment in which it thrives and it functions. And when that culture is distracted to a degree, uh, the issues arise. So when we look at the status quo of our cultural core values, what we're ascertaining is how is our organization functioning functioning right now and what is the culture within that organization? Is it a laid back, you know, kind of, hey, you know, let's get the work done today? Or is it a dictatorial uh, type of environment where it is, okay, today, this is what we are doing. And it's going to at nine o'clock and at 10 o'clock and at 11 o'clock. And each, those are, I would argue, are two ends of the spectrum for the type of organizational structures that we see most consistently today. And of course, there's a thousand different uh, verticals within that as to how different cultures uh, operate. Now, let's use Google as an example, which has a very creative and uh, basically an independent type of culture. They basically say, hey, we want to hire the best and we're going to let you do your job the way it's supposed to be done. That's a very different environment than someone like Dell computers or IBM Mm -hmm. that have a very regimented process where the environment and the structure is much more linear, whereas Google is much more nonlinear. Does does that help in defining how we evaluate the core essence of what, how a cultural, uh, excuse me, the culture within an organization? Yes, thank you. And I love when you use examples like that. That does it puts okay, things into good. perspective. <laughs> Next question, what are the key indicators that signal to you the necessity for a cultural shift in your organization? And then how do you envision this transformation impacting your overall business strategy? Okay, I, 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 another great question. So let, let me... Uh... Uh, let me put that again, since you like the examples, let me use a, a personal example, uh, which is probably the first one that I can recall that had a significant impact on how I understood a culture within an organization. And it was my organization. I, and I, I won't use the curse word here, but I was a real so-and-so as, okay. as a leader. I hear you. It's true. And let me explain how that happened. So I had uh, originally I had a very small business. And as an entrepreneur, what most entrepreneurs uh, do, and and I'll explain this to your general audience, too, is that we usually start off very small. Uh, And as a matter of fact, the majority of businesses in the United States are either individually owned or are partnership. So the the number of employees for the majority of uh, entrepreneurial endeavors is just one or two. Now, that being said, if the if the organization is just one or two, well, that means that those one or two individuals share all of the responsibilities. And if it's just one, that means that person's doing everything, everything from sales to cleaning the toilets uh, that person's responsible for. What happens is if your business explodes really quickly, you don't develop the skills in order to work with people more effectively, efficiently, and establish a culture that's consistent with the objectives that your organization envisions. So what happened with my organization was we grew very quickly. We went from one employee to 75 in six months. And by the end of the year, we had 300. Now, and what had happened, and the corporate culture was terrible. (laughs) And how how do I know that? Because I should have just put a turnstile on my front door. I couldn't (laughs) keep people... 
I, they were they were leaving quicker than I could hire them. And so I had to sit yeah. in my office one day and say, well, what's the real problem here? Oh, it's me. <laughs> I, was, you, I was you did a self-reflection. Yeah, I, I was the boss that was sending off emails at four o'clock in the morning when I got up calling people terrible names because I didn't think appreciate the job that they were. Yes. And you can see, you can see how that would negatively impact the organization or as we're talking about the culture and the culture that I established in that organization to start with was horrific (laughs) because nobody... Yeah, nobody wanted to come to work. So fortunately, we were able to correct and we pivoted. And it, so, and but that was a personal reflection of, uh, that I take credit for. I went back to school and learned how to lead my organization better and completely mm-hmm. changed the corporate culture. So there's two points here. You can have a very bad corporate culture and then change it to a positive. And one of the things that I learned uh, 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 very quickly was that if people have skin in the game, they're much more... Uh, willing to uh, work harder. And so in essence, what I did was immediately started giving ownership through stock to the employees. Now they had a, they, now they had skin in the game. And when I ultimately sold the, the company back in 2014, the majority of the stock was already owned by the employees. So it was a logical sale to sell it to the employees. So, so the employees that actually had skin in game now own the company. And yeah. so that was a and I, I share that story because that was one of the things that was an eye-opener for me for corporate culture. When we look at companies today, a lot of the leadership understands that there is a, cor- a, a corporate culture, and they understand that, that it can be changed. A lot of them don't want to, and that's, and that's, where, that's where the problem lies. It, that's so interesting, and I really appreciate your transparency in telling that story because you know we all do need to self-reflect. And and yes. good for you. We're back to school. What about? Um, and this isn't necessarily on the next question, but I mean, aren't we in that cultural shift today? Isn't it hard to keep employees working and interested today? I mean, that skin in the game is huge. But I keep reading that you know it's it's tough to keep employees. It is, and let, let's 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 put something on the table now because this is a, a, a new uh, an area of corporate culture, which is remote working, and, and okay. which which is what, what the catalyst for your question. Now, I have mm-hmm. I have always in, encouraged, and one of the things that I did. Oh, 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 now that I think about it, one of the major changes that I made with within my organization immediately was that we went from the traditional nine to five where people were coming at nine to five. And I immediately changed that to seven, 24 seven. And what that meant was that because we had call centers abroad, we theoretically were open 24 hours, seven days a week. Now the call centers were running, but the, the real uh, interesting thing here was I thought to myself, well, wait a second. If we theoretically are running 24 seven, why don't I give that flexibility to the employees as well? And to myself. So immediately I put into place, we eliminated the nine to five and we went to uh, an open and uh, completely voluntary schedule, which meant that mm-hmm. I had people coming in at three o'clock in the morning and work until six so that they could go. So the, <laughs> you're going to love this one. Uh, it was one of my accountants. She would come in at three o'clock in the morning, work for three hours, uh, and she worked on Saturdays and Sundays too. But then she got her husband would sleep in, and then she would get home for six o'clock when he got up, and then she had 
where she was able to take care of her uh, children. So there was this work-life balance that became extremely important, which then let's fast forward to where we are today. Now, this remote learning, granted, has taken off, or excuse me, uh, remote remote work has taken off primarily based on the result of the pandemic, where companies were forced to send their people home. And quite frankly, the biggest revelation from that was the number of jobs that can actually be done from home that don't have to be done in the office. My major concern or issue at this point in time are the number of companies and number of CEOs and, and presidents that are making decisions without considering the, the, the negative effect on the culture by forcing people to come back to work. I can understand their, their motivation for doing that. And I think it's actually a little bit off base because it, it, quite frankly, we can determine whether or not an individual is doing work either at home or at, in the office, just based on our basic ROI concept. What's your return on investment? What's the product that they're delivering? So it's quantifiable whether or not you're at home or at the office. Now, a lot of CEOs don't see that. They don't see, they see an empty office. They see they're paying rent for it. And yes, even though those they are, you are paying rent and the office is empty, but your staff is at home and they do need a physical place to come into. Your, your numbers haven't changed at all. You're not paying more for them to work at home. So this argument that, oh, we're paying for space that is not being utilized. Well, yeah, you have to. Yeah, <laughs> That's the right. Way. That's the way it works. And you, you, you can't get out of that. And, and forcing people to, and here's where it gets, this is from a, psycho, a psychological uh, perspective, forcing people to do things is not the right way to do it. We want to motivate people to do things. So the, with the correct motivation, you can actually increase your performance it, or change your culture so that people feel much more uh, trusted, much more uh, empowered. Good for you. And I love that too. And that's something that you learned firsthand uh, well before the, of the pandemic there. So uh, really yes. read the room and know, you know, know who you have working for you and, and uh -huh. maybe survey or not. not. Uh, so thank you for answering that. Are you, do you consider the desired cultural shift? How do you foresee the role of leadership evolving and guiding and nurturing this transition? Okay, and I, I'm going to circle back to the the answer that I just gave. Yeah. It is, it is, and and this has a lot to do. And and thank you for bringing out that personal reflection because that's the point that I'm going to make now. If you're not doing your own temperature check on a yeah. regular basis and understanding the actions that you're taking and how they affect the organization, then then you you're building a problem and it's only going to get bigger. And this doesn't happen. This we talk about leadership uh, uh, effectuating uh, corporate culture, but quite frankly, it's the entire organization that creates the culture. Who you hire, who you want working for you. If you hire a a, a group of a, of individuals that are all the same shape, size, and color, well, you're you're going to limit the results that you get because there's empirical evidence that supports the argument that a diverse group of individuals come up with better answers. So that corporate culture is defined by the by the people as well. And a lot of it has to do, and, and this is very important too, because we, we're, unfortunately, we're in a very polarized uh, situation now as far as the country is concerned, which makes yeah. it problematic in the work 
workplace. Uh, and people don't talk about this as much. If you're in, let's say, an office with 20 people and you're in between a rural and an urban environment, you have a mixture of belief systems. And if there's a conflict in those belief systems, whether or not it's political, religious, religious sexual, uh, diversity, uh, that's going to cause problems to your culture. So it's very important to have the entire organization on the same page, which then circles back to the hiring process. Your HR department now becomes the most influential team to create an organization that has a solid and viable corporate culture. Great. That's great advice. Um, And again, your experience just really uh, is above all because of of the cultures that you've been a part of and the fact that you've self-reflected. So this is great information. In your experience, what are some effective strategies you've employed to garner support and commitment from the leadership team in driving a culture change? Uh, Great, great. So I'm going to talk quickly uh, because this actually has been a a very interesting um, subject for me. One of the things that became very apparent was the the variance between cultures when we talk about a, a corporate environment. So when I started, when I opened up my first center in Delhi, India, actually it was Noida, India, um, what I did was two years before I actually got over to the center and started to understand how they functioned in a different culture. Now, I was familiar with a, a number of other organizations and how they worked in, let's say, Europe and a little bit of South America and Central America. But when I got over to India, it was extremely different. The The corporate culture uh, in how they operate in comparison to the United States was an eye opener. Now, we both accomplished the same things, but one was much more uh, nonlinear, where it was much more, you know, uh, the vibe was a little bit more laid back and people made decisions on a daily basis. Whereas in India, quite frankly, it was much more linear and individuals did what they did. And they were basically, they started work at eight o'clock in the morning. They didn't finish it until six o'clock at night with two 15 minute breaks and a half an hour for lunch. To me, that was outrageous. I was like, oh, you can't treat people like that. But that was the norm. That was their corporate culture. And my position that it was wrong was incorrect because again, a different culture, different environment, different organization. For me to pro- uh, project how I think it should be done was extremely derogatory and disrespectful to the culture that I was in. And I learned that quickly. Uh, and one of the things that was most uh, evident to me was the variance between the managerial styles from in- people in India and the United States. Are they, are they different? Absolutely. Is it a different culture? Absolutely. Is one right? Is one wrong? No, <laughs> because it, it's the environment that you're in. So I, I want to bring that point up too. And, and oh, 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 I got another good example too. Uh, so mm-hmm. for the, you know, we're on the West Coast right now. I grew up on the East, I grew up on the East Coast. You, you can tell by the way I talk, blah, 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 just nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> nonstop, typical New Yorker. Uh, when I st- and when I first started soliciting clients on the West Coast, it drove me crazy. I'm like, what do you mean you'll get back to me tomorrow? <laughs> that won't work. I need an answer now. 
<laughs> right, right. And that is such, I mean, people don't think how different our cultures are just in the United States, but we truly are different animals, aren't we? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that's a very good a good example. And, and actually, and thank you for bringing that out because mm-hmm. that, that's probably the most obvious example that we can give here in the United States. I tried to do it between two countries until I started talking. And I was like, oh, wait, that's a better one. It, it's so interesting. I studied uh, communications and international communications when I was in college. And I do remember my professor was from Mexico and he would make fun of himself. He said, oh, we take a siesta. We take a long time to think about making, you know, make up our minds. And then it's about, you know, the food and, and prepare and just talking about it. And he would always say that. I always remember that now that, you know, we're talking about this. Yes. But that's the culture, you know, it's truly, maybe it, because it, we're so close to Mexico, I don't know, in Southern California, maybe we've adopted. I, a I, bit. I, I think the answer to your question, uh, which I know we kind of went off on a little bit of tangent, is that it, it the variance is so great that if a leader mm-hmm. is not aware of how their culture is affecting the yeah. people within their organization, that's where the problem lies. And I, I think the, the one thing that every leader has to take account for and hold themselves responsible for is the health and welfare of their uh, people who they have working for them. Yep. So true. That's so great. And this is such great information for, I mean, I think our young kids should be learning all of this as they get older. No, not wait till college. You know, I mean, this is, a, these are life in the information about dealing with cultures. And as we're in this shift right now with the diversity and everything, it's um, really, uh, I don't know when you're writing your book, but I'll be your publicist when that comes out. <laughs> so, oh, well, you know. I have another little example for you, which is really interesting. And let's talk a little bit about the, the younger generation, because yeah. one of the things that I see, when when I see, I see this on a semi regular basis, we have individuals. Let's let's take an eighteen year old a young man who goes to work at one of the convenience stores. Let's say uh, I don't know if you have them out here. Uh, we have sheets in Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I don't whatever Seven Eleven. Let's say I'm sure you have Seven Elevens. So a young yeah. man goes to Seven Eleven. What he doesn't understand is how to navigate corporate culture. He basically will come back, and if his boss is a so and so, he his response is, "Oh, my boss is a so." so instead of thinking, okay, I understand where he's coming from, or I see what he's trying to accomplish. How can I better navigate Mm. his personality to make my work experience better? So there is a a percentage of ownership that an individual can take to make their work uh, environment better. And that's the biggest ingredient that I see missing is people are very quick to complain about their corporate culture, but very slow to take responsibility for changing it. So your story, your personal story, I think is so important to see that you have shifted that and you understand that you really have to read the room and, and be, you know, just be aware of, of who you're dealing with and also see the long-term goals um, from your boss or the company's uh, outlook. One, it, one of the things that I've never been, you, you, I'm sure you guys have heard all of this all the time. Oh, I, what do you do for a living? I'm a consultant. <laughs> I used to think, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm like, like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But in all seriousness, having a third party take a look at your organization's health is a very good thing to do. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a consultant. It can be a third party, a neutral third party that you bring in to come in to do an organization evaluation. And that information is an objective, non-biased look at how your organization's health is working. 
That's a good, really good point, especially when you own your own companies. Absolutely. Uh, And people don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all should self-reflect and just, you know, do that anyway, right? Um, Right. How can an organization leverage its existing strengths and unique attributes while pursuing a comprehensive culture change? So they, they're they're one and one and the same. Um, there okay. used to be, and and that's a it's a very good question, uh, and it, it's an older question because the the philosophy was that those items were of their own. Each one was their own element, and they mm. should be addressed uh, separately. Uh, however, we look and we work within organizations today in a much more holistic manner, where one variable, whether it's the profitability, your gross revenue, your net revenue, is just as important as the the the, the welfare and the, the benefit of the work quality that your, your the work life work quality that your employees have uh, so one is one it needs the other in order to survive uh, and you quite frankly in today's environment you can't have one without the other or you shouldn't have one without the other that's a good point too that they really that is an older question and so interesting that yeah we this is something that's happening in 2023 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you plan to maintain the balance between retaining essential elements of your existing culture and the necessity of introducing new cultural facets to meet the changing business environment? I, I, that's that's an exciting question. I think that's that's consistent with everything that we've talked about. And okay. how, how do you adapt to that? It's a daily endeavor. If you're not taking a look at your organization every single day and saying to yourself, what can I do better? to help these people thrive. And I'm not just talking about the business success. An organization should be geared towards its own success, but also the people who work for its success. And those two, that that type of look, and when you walk into the office in the morning and you see one of your employees who's not maybe having a bad day and you go over and you address that issue and you make that feel that person feel better, that's as important as selling a, a, a client, whatever service or product that you're selling at the end of the day. And that individual is going to come in the next day feeling better about where they work. Recharged and ready to go and help out. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to recognize yeah. that. Go, go home, take time, be, do what you need to do, be yourself. And then when you're ready, come back and fix your problem uh, or do your work. Yeah. The hu- we're human, right? So I think it's recognizing that and, and um, responding to that. So that's a, good, mm-hmm. a really good point that you're saying this out loud, you know, for people. Yeah, we, we're all not just robots. And I'll share a story. I stole this idea from actually from Google, quite frankly, but it, it, it was an absolutely wonderful uh, inclusion into our organization to help people. If, and I, I know we've all sat there at one o'clock in the afternoon after we've had lunch, we're sitting at the desk and we just can't do it anymore. Our head, right. We're nodding <laughs> off. Right. Oh my God. And you're, you're looking at the clock. You're like, oh my God, four more hours. What the heck am I going to do? Right. So, and, so it happened, but wait, it happened to me on a regular basis. And so I'm like, I, I being the president, I just got to close my door and I would lay down on my couch and take a power nap. I'm like, <laughs> well, and, and I would feel great in 20 minutes, close my eyes, recharge. And I wouldn't nod off for the rest of the afternoon. I'm like, well, wait a second. Uh, you, you can see the wheels turning. I'm like, doo-doo, doo-doo, doo-doo. and I thought to myself, well, wait a second. 
if I allow the employees to do this, I'm actually going to, they're actually going to work harder in the afternoon. Wait, this is, this is a no brainer. So in the employee lounge, uh, we actually built a separate little room and we put a couch in there with a little sign that said in out. And I encourage the employees to go during their lunch hour and take a half an hour. And, and you know, and, from 11 o'clock in the morning until almost two o'clock in the afternoon, there was always someone in there taking a little bit of a nap, but, and our, and our work increased and we were able to measure this by 13%. Wow. Wow. Yep. Very good. I love that. Again, yep, really so looking at the culture and then, and you know, you yourself reflecting and realizing, Oh, I'm, I'm better for it. So, and this is kind of leads into that, that next, question is what measures are you taking to ensure that the cultural change is sustainable in the long run, which if you need to take a little nap and get back to it, maybe that has something to do with it, but that does not just represent a short-term response to external pressures. There are a, a large number of tools that can be utilized to quantify whether or not uh, your culture, you, your, the temperature of your organization is in good health. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it can range from as something as simpler, simple as a monetary gain. What's your ROI? Mm -hmm. is your, are, are you valuing your organization based on its profitability? And it, it, that's one way. Is it the right way? Mm, maybe not. Uh, can you value your organization's health by determining how many people are staying with you and how many people are leaving? Yes, you can. But quite frankly, without the element of your ROI, it doesn't matter if everyone's staying. If you're not making any money, nobody's going to be there tomorrow. Right, uh, right. Uh, are you able to talk to, the, uh, to uh, your organization, each department to contribute to the business strategy to have a long-term plan for corporate uh, culture? And the, the answer there is yes. And it's a combination of each one of those. Different organizations use different tools to gauge how well their, their organizational health is. Personally, one of the, th the, the tool that I use most frequently is uh, the employee turnover rate. Mm. I have found, and one of the things, have you ever heard of the term clockroaches? Clockroaches? No, I haven't heard that. Okay. So you, <laughs> back in the it. 50s. It's well, and, and I'll give you the example here. If you want to value, if you're ever interviewing for a job, go mm -hmm. to that organization. Go to that organization at about ten minutes to five, and and stand outside. Mm -hmm. And if at five o'clock the, the five o'clock bell rings, if at five o'clock it opens up and it looks like the kids are being released for summer school, or, <laughs> or okay, that's not a place you want to work. That's <laughs> because the marathon those, running out the door. Yeah. They want, they want out of that place as soon as physically possible. And right. that's why I call them cockroaches because at 430, they're, start, they're, they're going to the bathroom because they want to go to the bathroom on company time, not their own time. And so right. five o'clock, they're out the door. That's their time. Whereas if you've built a company with a, a great corporate culture, they don't see the time. <laughs> they, they, mm. they, they, they stay until the, the, their responsibilities are complete. And when they're complete, <laughs> they leave. So if they finish at three, bye. Bye. Right, right. Exactly. Well, I've never heard the term clockroaches. Now I do. I know what that means. Uh, and again, that's funny. If you drive by a, a business and you see that, you know, not to work there. How do you uh, yeah. integrate employee feedback and participation in the process of culture change and what platforms or mechanisms are in place to facilitate this? Uh, if you're not getting feedback from your employees on a, a daily basis, then your organization uh, is not doing well. Uh, surveys, feedback, your managers are your frontline, uh, uh, your frontline information gatherers, and those are the individuals that you need to be speaking to on a regular basis to keep track of how your organization is doing. 
Good point. Yeah, feedback is going to be everything. Yep. Um, this is such great information. You've been a joy to listen to. We have to just take a quick break, but more in just a moment. So don't go away. We will be right back. And now a national university tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you, know, you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you want to do. It helps you figure out what you want to do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. now back to our interview with Dr. Ricard Briggs, and we're talking about leading people through culture change, which is such a relevant topic. And so Dr. Briggs, as a leader, how have you prepared yourself and your team to manage the resistance and uncertainties that often accompany culture change? So uh, that's a very, uh, that's, it's actually a very good question. And it falls into a different category, and but it's very relevant to a culture within an organization. The question that you asked falls into change management. And mm. change management, in essence, is anything that you do within an organization that is different than it was the day before. And that's kind of a, a generic uh, way of expressing it. Uh, and the, the biggest failure among with change management is the lack of communication. And so when we, and I'll give this example and change management is not, everyone thinks, oh, we're going to change our healthcare benefits. Oh, we, we need to get feedback on that. That's a very big decision. We have to talk and we'll, we'll, we'll run this through the processes. We'll get feedback from everyone, but let's take that sort of macro decision. Uh, let's go, let's micro, let's go down to our, our employee cafeteria where we have, you know, it's a, there's a small company. There's 25 people that work there. You've got a little microwave and you've got, uh, you know, your, your, your coffee in the morning and you've got a vending machine there, a soda machine. It's a Coke machine. Okay. And so leadership decides or whatever that they got a better deal on Pepsi. So they switched the soda machine from Coke to Pepsi, but they didn't tell anyone. Okay. Mm. What happens? People are upset. <laughs> Why are they upset? Because they weren't informed. And even this is where it gets really interesting. There are individuals that really don't have a preference between Coke and Pepsi, but they will voice their concern if you made that decision without consulting them. That's so yeah. and that that micro decision or that what you would consider a very small change happens a hundred times a day. So a hundred times a day, you're telling your employees that they're not important in the decision-making mm. process. Mm. And those are the important elements of change management. And it's communication at all levels, micro and macro, small and large. Communication is key. That's interesting. 
Um, how are you planning to measure the success of the culture change initiative? And what benchmarks or metrics do you believe are the most indicative of progress? So uh, that, that's a that's a great question and relatively simple to answer. If you're not on a regular basis uh, surveying, and when I say surveying, it doesn't have to be a physical survey. We're, we're not talking survey monkey here. We're talking about <laughs> talking with your employees. We're talking about getting feedback and having open dialogue as to how everyone feels within the organization. Now, I, I know that the, the first thing is, well, people don't speak freely and they don't speak uh, truthfully when they're, they're being asked by leadership. Okay. That's indicative of a poor culture. And, and if, mm. if that if that's your response, when someone says you need to talk to your employees or you need to talk to your employees in a group setting and your first response is, well, they're not going to be truthful with me. The, Okay. You've got a problem that's bigger yeah. than getting feedback from your employees. Uh, so, so be, understanding how people are feeling and communicating with them is obviously the most important aspect of uh, building a good corporate culture. Yeah. Back to that communication and then reading the room. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Can you share your, your approach to embedding culture change into daily routines and operational practices in order to make it a li lived experience for all employees? So we all we all have processes that we utilize on a daily basis, whether or not it's how we drive to work, whether or not it's the, the route that we take through Walmart or through Giant Eagle or your local uh, shopping center. We're creatures of habit and breaking that habit helps identify the areas or holes in your uh, corporate culture. One of the things that I'm a, a strong advocate of doing is shaking things up a little bit. Okay. Hey, so you've been doing this for a while. How about we, you come over here and do this for a while. And how do you feel about that? Would you like to give it a try? Because we don't know how it's going to work and trying new things, experimentation, and with the expectation that it may work, it may not work is how you increase or change and embed new change into, or create an environment where people are not afraid of trying new things. You know, and, and that also empowers, uh, we're, you know, your employees and, you know, kind of puts the that into their lap a little bit, but it shows that you trust them. So that's a, that's a really good key point. How do you plan to incorporate learning and development initiatives in facilitating the culture change? And I guess, and what's your strategy for ensuring these programs that they align with the new cultural ethos? So, I, and I'll share this example too. So one of the things I, I taught for a number of years at a university in West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is a kind of a relatively isolated state in the sense that uh, there's really not a lot of diversity in the state. And it's, that's a fact and we're not going to, nobody's going to argue that. So right. when I went to the, the school, if I had a class of about 30 students, the majority of them were from that panhandle in West Virginia. And most of them had never left their county, let alone the state. And, but we did have a contingent of international students. So each, at the beginning of each term, I might have out of 30, uh, 30 students, I might have five international students and they were varied. I could have an individual Kuwait, from India, from France, uh, all over the world. And I never knew where I was getting anyone. And it was very, it became very interesting right from day one, I, from the first class that I ever taught there, the looks that the other students gave to their foreign counterparts was one of curiosity and one of, hey, I, I'm not sure I'm liking this, mm. <laughs> in the sense that 
and, and not, not being negative, just, I, I, you know, this doesn't feel right to me. I've never seen anything like it. And that's what it is. It's inexperience. And so yeah. it, that's an opportunity. Uh, you can take those individuals and you don't have, you don't put them on the spot and say, well, tell us about Morocco. Tell us about a deli. Say, the easiest way to do it is say, hey, Billy, I'll use him as an example. Billy, what, what, what's your daily, daily routine consist of? And he, Billy explains what he does. Uh, Jamal, what's your daily experience? And by integrating everyone's personal experiences, they get to experience what other people are doing, how they're living their lives. And that is the foundation of change. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Um, and again, I love your examples. <laughs> In what ways does your organization's proposed culture change reflect your commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion? <laughs> uh, so, I, 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 this is an it, this is interesting. I, I, I was uh, my parents emigrated from England when I was uh, very young uh, to New York City. I didn't. <laughs> I, I grew up in an environment where we were the little rascals. We, my group of friends were every shape, size, color, uh, sexual preference—you name it. So I didn't know. I didn't know didn't that there was anything. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. That was, that was mine. That was my normal. And so it wasn't until I went. So when I went to college, I did my undergrad out in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which was like right in the middle of the Bible Belt. I, I suddenly realized, ooh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Right, right. So, so I thought to myself, okay, so this is this is a different part. What am I going to do? And, and this is where it gets really interesting because I, and I, I'll, I'll toot my own horn here because I thought I can make this work. I, I, I've got things to share and I'm sure they've got things to share with me too. And they did. I learned mm -hmm. more from some of those people out there than I had my entire life. And I have yeah. friends that I still talk to and communicate with on and we're complete polar opposites. But the beauty of it was that we embraced each other's culture and we shared our ideals, values, and our work ethic and everything else kind of just fell into place. So one of the things that I'm, very, I'm a strong advocate of doing is uh, sharing your stories with everyone. Uh, yeah. And those personal stories add more depth to who you are as a person and it adds more depth to the group when you combine those stories. I totally agree with you. And I love that, you know, even growing up, you didn't even recognize that was normal to you. And that's how I think probably a lot of us are. And now in this culture shift, it feels like people have to say it out loud when in fact, they're actually already living that. And um, yes. so almost it's more recognizing that, yeah, well, that's how I've been brought up and that's my normal. So I, that's great. That sounds like yeah. you were like that from, from a young, young age. Uh, last question. Could you elaborate on how the culture change might influence client interactions and how do you plan to manage and put any potential impact on client relationships? Uh, okay. Uh, yes. And, and <laughs> this is, this is an interesting, this is an, <laughs> this is an interesting question. Um, and sometimes, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think whether or not I should even share this. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> so here's the deal. So uh, everyone knows uh, the clients are the lifeblood of your organization. Well, consumer, uh, customers and clients, uh, let's put it in that. And very, very uh, infrequently, we've heard the adage that the customer's always right. The client's always right. Uh, mm -hmm. No. <laughs> we know that's not true at all. Uh, right. But unfortunately, a lot of business leaders, a lot of managers, uh, that's their position. And that's what they've been, they've been drilled in six ways, to, six days to Sunday and twice on Sunday that the customer is always right. So 
What happened with me was, and I think going back to some of the stories that I told you earlier, one of the first things that I did when the co- my company exploded was I opened up a call center in Delhi, India. And this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s when it first started, and which was still at the uh, uh, in that area where outsourcing was considered extremely bad. Uh, you know, the old, you're stealing American jobs, that, that, that whole thing. And so, uh, un- which is... You, that's not true, but nonetheless, uh, it, it, what happened was we had these individuals in India who uh, my company was. Uh, we did medical billing, uh, so we mm. we had Indian agents calling uh, individuals in the United States. And if, if you have, and I'm sure you've spoken to your credit card company or whomever, mm. and you've had a foreign agent on the phone, okay. Yeah. 20 years ago, that was the exception, not the norm. Today, it's more normal, normalized, and it's changed significantly. But back then, it was really, it was like, ooh, you have, you have a foreigner calling me about my medical bill. You, you can't do that. Well, yes, we can. And, and here's, the, here's the problem, was they kept yelling, we can't understand them, I, which mm-hmm. is completely incorrect, because not only do they actually have a better vocabulary, they're smarter right. than most agents you can get in the, as a matter of fact, most call agents in uh, India have a minimum of a master's degree. <laughs> so oh, for a minimum, get, right. Yeah. A minimum. Yes. I know it's, it's bizarre, but, but here's the thing is we had a hospital that called me up and said, uh, Hey, uh, do you have uh, Indians uh, calling our patients? And I said, yes. And they fired us. And so they, yes, which was, uh, they were bigots, uh, quite frankly. Mm. And what ha- and I sued them in federal court for discrimination. I had my corporate counsel file a complaint and they were in West, it was a West Virginia hospital. And here's mm. the thing is I, I went down there and their billing department was run by two older white ladies. Uh, so it had not, oh, and, and, but here was my argument at the hospital was I, they said, well, we don't want Indians calling our, our patients. And I said, but I'm looking at your list here of cardiovascular surgeons and every one of them's an Indian. So mm, it, right, it, it's okay. Right. It's okay it's that they crack your chest yeah. and, and, and heal you, but they can't call you for payment. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you need us to say, needless, needless to say we won, but yeah. But the, the, the point of that story is the client is not always right. And if you're not, as a leader, going to stand up for your corporate values, then you shouldn't be in business. And th- that goes back to the very course, first question that you asked, what are your core values? And mm-hmm. are you willing to stand up for them? And that's a huge right there, too. Are you willing to stand up for them? In this culture, in this day and age, so many people are afraid to say anything for stepping on other people's toes or whatnot. But if you have a very clear mission statement, your values, you know, I think of Chick-fil-A or I think of Nordstrom. And I think those values are very upfront and people understand, you know, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays because of their Christian values. Nordstrom, you know, the customer is right, but they have that. They actually value that's their corporate you know, speak. That's what they believe philosophy, in. So yep. I, I, their philosophy. Thank you. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, so I, yeah, I, that's true. It really does have to start. We have to flip the script a little bit. It, we do. And we have, we have to, uh, one of the things is, uh, I mean, we all, we all live by the, the golden rule. We do, we want to be treated the or people, we yeah. treat people the way we want to be treated. And right. if you, if you keep that in the, in the back of your mind, your, your organization will be successful. Excellent. Wow. This was a great uh, interview with you and um, hopefully you'll come back on again. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Briggs. And if you want more information, you can visit National University's website at nu.edu. And we look forward to your next visit.
Thank you very much. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.